Hi, I'm Mike Rueda, and welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast where I explore topics relevant to those who make a career out of their talent. My guests, who are experts in their field and advisors of successful artists, entertainers, and athletes, will share professional insight and personal experiences, which I hope you find helpful and interesting. So thank you for listening, and enjoy. Joining me on the podcast today is Alana Petrosky. Alana is a partner in our charities team and an expert that advises all types of charities, institutions, and individuals on the various philanthropic giving alternatives and vehicles. Alana is an incredible resource for anyone determined to pursue a philanthropic goal. She has been extremely helpful to me and my clients over the years, and I'm delighted to be able to share her expertise with you today. Alana, thank you for joining me. Welcome, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much, Mike. It's great to be here with you. I'm doing really good. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Good. Um, in preparation for our conversation, I did some background reading just uh, on all things charities, uh, philanthropy, sports, entertainment. Um, and I came across one article that really struck a chord with me because it was really, really relevant to some of what I've worked on and what I've seen recently. And, and basically, The statement in the article was that in light of the impact of the coronavirus and certain political and social issues and events of the past few years, that the sports world and philanthropy have merged into a venue for generating social impact and driving relief to those who need it, Um, which, like I said, was really relevant to me um, and some of the stuff that I've worked on and, and, you know, things that we've seen uh, in the public or in the news um, and, and really led me to the first question I had for you, which is why is philanthropy and charitable work and giving back so relevant to athletes and other sports people generally, and also more importantly, very recently? Great question. Um, You know, Sports people and talent really across the board are kind of acting at the top of their game, right? They have prepared for years. Um, They are doing the best work they can be at the time. And um, they have huge reach, right? Their work that they're doing on the sports field or in entertainment is touching people, um, you know, really near and far. So they have this wonderful um, opportunity to make a difference. And, you know, if they have been successful, they, they also probably have some capacity to, to make, make a difference. Um, there's a number of different ways that they would do that. But, you know, it, it is um, giving back really is something that motivates quite a lot of people um, who are in the sporting world and in the public eye generally. Um, you know, that can also be because they understand or have experienced the transformative power of being helped by others. So, you know, you may have someone who... Um, was able to benefit from a scholarship, for instance, and that scholarship was able to help them um, do things with their life that they might not otherwise have been able to do. So that experience of being on the other end, the receiving end, can also be really impactful for people when it comes to be their turn to sort of give back um, as a result of their success. Now, COVID has been obviously just so impactful across the board um, around the world. And, you know, what we see is um, really everything just being disrupted and charities who are serving communities and, and, you know, beneficiaries are really being called to provide more services 
and do so in really challenging circumstances and with less resource than they had before. So it's a really perfect storm for communities that need help from organizations that are charitable, you know, to, to really need support then from philanthropists and others who can do good with the wealth that they have. Um, so it's a wonderful opportunity for people to take a look around and say, in this crisis, you know, that we are all experiencing and sharing together, what can I do in this situation? Um, and, you know, this is where the better uses of wealth come in, right? I have an opportunity right. to, do, um, to do some good with what I've got. Yeah, so it's I'm, a very exciting time. But yeah, it's also, of course, very challenging. Interesting points and, and important points, uh, given the world that we live in today. And you, you touched upon a couple points that I wanted to highlight. While I, while I, I, some of my questions, the question I previously asked tended to focus on sports people and athletes. You know, a lot of it is generally applicable to people who make a living of one talent or another. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned uh, leads us right into our next question, which is how can... Uh, people like this structure they're giving um, uh, clients that I have or people that I've worked with tend to in the U S in particular tend to come to me and say, look, there's a particular issue I want to focus on. I want to focus on, I want to form a foundation. Can you help me do that? That tends to be right. The go-to vehicle or the go-to alternative for addressing whatever issue it is. That's uh, important to them. Uh, I think a lot of that tends to be driven by a lack of familiarity with some of the other alternatives. What are the different ways that, that people like this can structure their, their giving? I, I totally agree with you that, that there's, in some cases, a lack of familiarity drives people to that foundation option, making it mm -hmm. seem like the only option, really. But I think the best way to think about this probably is a, is a sort of um, spectrum. And on the one end of the spectrum is really just making direct gifts to organizations that exist already. You know, that's sort of writing a bunch of checks. And that is super simple. It is um, easy to do. You need no structuring in many places, including the U.S. and the U.K. You get some tax relief, which is great. However, it does tend to be a little bit ad hoc. You know, you sort of make decisions on the move. You decide to support this charity or that charity. It can make it a little bit challenging to develop a strategy or a program of impact. And oftentimes, you know, by the time I'm talking to people, that's really where they want to get to. They right. want to sort of not just write a bunch of checks to a bunch of charities in December, but they want to actually have an organized strategy of giving that allows them to look back and say, here's the impact that I am making. And, and have an, a global overview of what they are doing. So oftentimes people do then think about, let's just go to a foundation, but that really is jumping the gun, I think. Let's put on our little spectrum, a direct gifts are on one end and, um, and, and a foundation is on the other, but right in the middle, we also have some alternatives. And one of those would be a donor advised fund, which is very much like a foundation, except that you don't really set it up yourself. You don't and then sit on its board. You make contributions to it and it sets up a fund. It allows the donor to make recommendations as to where the charitable fund should ultimately be applied. And it allows the donor also to, you know, for example, come up with a name, that person's name, for instance, or family name, and make gifts in that name. It mm -hmm. allows for tax efficiency, but it doesn't require you to set up and operate a legal structure. And it doesn't require the donor to take on any legal responsibility or fiduciary responsibility. So that can be really attractive. 
The other thing that's attractive about donor advised funds to some clients that we're dealing with is that they can um, be quite anonymous in their giving. So often when we think of talent and sports people doing philanthropy, we think about reputation and that they are in part um, leveraging their reputation to do good, right? They're in the public eye, so they're making use of that um, to help others. But sometimes people do, of course, want to make gifts that are a bit more low key. Um, so for instance, if you have um, set up a, a, a mission to really help in one particular way, for example, helping um, kids get into sports or helping people get into education, that might be your main focus. But let's say you hear about a really compelling project that has absolutely nothing to do about it, and you want to support that as well without really getting sort of sucked into a, a bigger involvement. You might wish to give that gift anonymously, even if you're using your foundation or your donor advised fund more generally to be a bit more public about your giving. So there's a lot of different varieties in there. But then the foundation, of course, is the, is the, is the gold standard or classic for a philanthropic vehicle. Um, and that is because, you know, it, it is allows the donor to really form a structure, run that structure and build a program of giving around that. So that still will be an attractive option for lots of people who want to really put a lot of themselves into a philanthropic you know, program or project. But I think the donor advised fund option is often overlooked and it can really work for a lot of clients. Yeah, that is that is a structure I'm, I'm less familiar with. Uh, and obviously I think a lot of clients that have, immediately jump to the foundation alternative are also less familiar with. Um, I, I think some of the issues we tend to see confronted are the ones that happen once the foundation is operational and, you know, they're tasked with running the day to day and raising money and complying with all the various, you know, tasks and filings and things of that nature that a foundation needs to comply with. So, you know, knowing the alternatives is, is important, um, especially if you can still meet the goals that you're, you're looking for. Um, the main thing that a foundation and a donor advised fund both do is allow the donation, the sort of tax event of making the donation and the philanthropic event of deciding what to support, separating those two things out in time. So if you imagine the situation where you're just writing checks at the end of the year to 15 or 20 different operating charities, you, get your, you make your donation at the end of the year, they get your support then, you claim your tax deduction then. But the gift is made and the tax deduction are happening at the same time. In a donor advised fund or a private foundation, those two things are totally separated in time. So you can make gifts at the end of the year or in the middle of the year from time to time. And that is totally separate from the decision about which grants to make to the, to the ultimate charities. So where you might have made 15 checks for your 15 charities in my, in my direct giving example, with a donor advised fund or a foundation, you're writing one check into the foundation. And then the foundation from time to time is making those grants or the donor advised fund likewise from time to time is making those grants out to the charities. So it sort of separates out the tax fees from the philanthropy mm -hmm. piece. And we often do conflate those two things. You know, we sort of get this idea that philanthropy is about tax relief. It really, really isn't. It mm -hmm. really is. You know, I 100% when I am talking to clients, they are oftentimes interested in tax efficiencies because they want 
to maximize the amount of money that's available for the charitable projects, but the tax efficiencies that you get with a properly used tax incentive, they never put the donor in a better position than the donor would have been had they not given the gift. It's always just a, ma a means of giving more to the project. So I think we, it is right to keep those things quite separate in our minds, right? And that is also not why people get into philanthropy. They get into philanthropy because it's meaningful to them. And I think actually, you know, so advisors, you and I, others that mm -hmm. are perhaps getting into this area with their clients, that is the key thing to understand, I think, which is that philanthropy can be for some people really one of the most meaningful areas in their lives. So, you know, but as an advisor sort of getting involved to help them create that meaning, that's a very powerful thing to be able to do with your clients. Absolutely. Making a difference. I had a number of clients that are really passionate about certain issues and, you know, helping them address those issues is, is, is a lot of fun. It's rewarding. Um, speaking of, again, athletes, talent, people like that, are there particular issues that they face uh, in their charitable work, uh, or, you know, uh, or, you know, philanthropic endeavors that are different from the issues that maybe other wealthy and successful people face, uh, you know, when they're conducting similar activities? I, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the, the biggest differential is whether someone is in the public eye or isn't. Mm -hmm. And obviously, some people who are quite wealthy may be in the public eye, even if they are not sort of famous, as it were. But, um, you know, they will be someone that the public is interested in and aware of. As soon as you're in that universe, then really there can be quite a lot of scrutiny as to what you do with your money, right? And if you are making decisions to support certain types of projects over other types of projects, unfortunately, that can get scrutinized in the press you know, sometimes we do see a, a kind of a negative or, or um, doubting attitude in the press when people of, uh, you know, who are in the public eye do get involved in philanthropy. They may sort of doubt the motivations of the donor or they may, um, you know, sort of draw various conclusions as to why that person may be giving to a certain mm -hmm. cause over others or say, you know, well, that's all well and good, but why aren't you also giving to this cause? And that, of course, can be very challenging because there is right. only so much giving a person, you know, may feel that they're able to do. Another area, though, where we can see some difference is, um, you know, in many cases, um, the salaries of, of people working in athletics are, are well known and well reported. Um, and it may be that they get scrutinized as to how much they are giving. Um, it, some sports people and some other, you know, famous people, well-known well people will, will leverage their reputation and their following to get, the, um, to get others to give, which is also a very, very powerful thing to do. It, it, you know, if a, um, if a, if a musician or, or um, a sports person has a following, for instance, on social media, and they're able to highlight the work of a particular, let's say, a social enterprise, a business that is working um, to better the community in a particular place, you know, that person shining the spotlight on that social enterprise can drive loads and loads of business traffic or others mm -hmm. who wish to be supportive. So th they may not be donating anything in that case, right? No cash money is traveling from the pocket of one to the pocket of the other, but they're really making a difference by, by bring, raising the profile of the project that they are supporting. That's something that can be super powerful. It's also something that sometimes in the press gets a little bit scrutinized and, and yeah, you know, um, that you, you've seen those conversations, I'm sure, in, um, in, in sort of cynical reporting in the press. 
Yeah, absolutely. And on a very related topic, uh, you know, reputation is very important. Um, for all well-known people, athletes in particular, there's a lot of revenue uh, generated from, let's say, off the field activities that that can suffer, right, with, you know, reputational risks. What are some of the, or are there reputational risks in, in taking on these charitable activities for athletes and other people like that? Sure, there, there is risk. And I think it is important for donors of any sort to, to have their eyes open to that when they get involved um, and, and really due diligence about who your partner is mm-hmm. in doing a charitable project is almost as important as due diligence when entering into a commercial transaction. So, um, you know, the types of reputational risk that, that, that there are out there um, can involve some sort of scandalous issue being um, discovered at an operating charity. So, um, you know, folks will be familiar with the news reports over issues in uh, with Oxfam and some others, aid charities on the ground in various parts of the world where there were unfortunate situations of uh, abuse of power. Um, And that is, you know, it's very, very damaging if you have been a major supporter to that project and you've really publicized it yourself your support, right? So that that then sort of comes back to haunt you a little bit. Another related version of that is where someone else who is supportive of that project themselves is involved in some kind of a, a high profile situation or reputational scandal, because then by association, you're sort of connected with that person. Um, those issues are, um, in a sense, unavoidable, right? Because essentially, you are collaborating by supporting this organization. And any kind of collaboration raises a certain amount of risk. Um, however, you know, be doing some sort of investigation as to whether this organization is the right one for you to be supportive of, it, you know, it, it can help to mitigate that sort of risk. Are they well run? Are they reputable? is this, why are you choosing this organization? Are you yeah. choosing it because, you know, you, you read about it in the newspaper, but you know nothing about them? Or because you have a sense that actually they're, they're going to use your money well in an impactful way um, and probably not in a way that's going to result in some sort of reputational blowback. So a little bit of due diligence goes a long way. Ultimately, you know, scandals do sometimes happen. Reputational blowback does sometimes happen. Really, as long as a donor themselves has been some distance from whatever has happened, though, they're able to, um, you know, that walk away from it without too much damage to their own reputation. It's really if they sort of, you know, were involved in some way or put something, some money in that was perhaps misused in a way that they, you know, were not on top of that that could be a little bit um, more dangerous to the to the reputation of the donor. Yeah, doing diligence. I, I can never stress that enough. Um <laughs> Generally, our clients aren't making these decisions alone, right? Uh, They have other advisors, other members of their team that support them, guide them. What kind of advice would you give those advisors who are new to nonprofit issues? That's a great question. And you're absolutely right. In in most cases, people are not just, you know, plucking this out of nowhere. The Mm -hmm. single most useful piece of advice I can give is that people for some reason assume that charity is easy and should be easy to do, right? Because we've all had the experience of just writing that check or putting money into the collection plate. And that is pretty easy, right? But if you are going to actually do something more complex, you're going to give a substantial amount of money, or you're going to be really um, reputationally aligned with an organization, 
that isn't simple. The thing that I would say that is the most useful is for um, or advisors to understand that this is a complicated area, that they may need help from others um, who are expert in this area to guide them to guide the client. And so that is something that I think is the starting point. From there, though, the thing that I think is really important to understand is that, you know, it, this is a meaningful area for most people we work with that are involved in giving. This is a super important and meaningful area. It isn't just writing that check off and it, you know it might start that way but it can develop into something much deeper so really if you are a professional advisor or an intermediary overlooking this sort of thing is, is a mistake overlooking this area because this may be the area that you can really connect with your client add you know depth to the relationship and really be that trusted advisor in the round for that person absolutely i mean i i i've had the feedback where you know, the idea is I'm, I'm really just trying to do some good. Why, why does this need to be so complex or challenging? And I, and I, I get the takeaway is you are trying to do some good, but you know, you need to do it right because it could create issues and challenges that you, you're not thinking of. Um, anyway, this was super informative. I really appreciate your time. Thank you again. I look forward to having you back soon. Absolutely. The pleasure was mine, Mike. Great to talk to you.